0: The Nobel Prize is awarded every year to people who have made outstanding contributions to the world in the fields of literature, physics, chemistry, medicine, peace, and of course, economics. The prize is normally awarded many years after the initial contributions are made in accordance with a general theme. This means that if two economists or scientists both make amazing discoveries in a given year, they both have a chance to win the prize. The prize is also pretty significant. This year, it was 10 million Swedish krona, the equivalent of around 960,000 US dollars, which is to be split amongst the three recipients. This is normally funded by the estate of Alfred Nobel, who was a chemist and the creator of dynamite, but in the case of the prize in economics, it's funded by the Sveriges Riksbank, the central bank of Sweden. I cover the winners of the Nobel Prize every year, but this one really stands out for a few important reasons. If you've been paying any attention to it, you will already know it's incredibly controversial for a reason we'll explore shortly. But apart from that, it's also really important because this year's prize was awarded to the laureates for their contributions to the understanding of banking's role in the economy, particularly during economic crises. I'm sure it's obvious to most of you watching why that might be of particular interest to a lot of other economists at the moment. So, how did this year's Nobel Prize winners actually improve the way that we deal with financial crises? Could we use their lessons to fix the economic issues we are facing in the world today? And finally, why is a Nobel Prize given to people who can help economies avoid serious reductions in living standards so controversial? The Sveriges Riksbank Prize in Economic Sciences, in memory of Alfred Nobel, was awarded this year to Philip Diebvig, Douglas Diamond and Ben Bernanke. You might understand now why it was a little bit controversial. Ben Bernanke was the chairman of the Fed from 2006 to early 2014, which meant that he oversaw the years leading up to and the recovery from the global financial crisis, which was caused by wild speculation on subprime lending, something that he had direct responsibility for as the Fed chairman. A lot of people see giving Bernanke the Nobel Prize for his work in fixing economic crises as the equivalent of giving the nuclear operators at Chernobyl a prize for the contributions that they made towards the understanding of acute radiation sickness. The reality is that the prize was awarded to him for research he did nearly 40 years ago in 1983, culminating in a paper he wrote called The Non-Monetary Effects of the Financial Crisis in the Propagation of the Great Depression. In theory, his role as a former chairman of the Fed and his part in the global financial crisis played absolutely no part in the committee's decision to award him the Nobel Prize. In reality, I personally find it very hard to believe that the committee didn't foresee this being a controversial choice. They made it anyway. Maybe out of pure academic merit or maybe because it drew attention to an award that a lot of people don't even know is happening. I'll let you make up your own mind there. What I will say is that Bernanke's 1983 paper is kind of brilliant. It's based on the research he did on the Great Depression of 1929 and the role that banks played in turning a market collapse into an extended depression which effectively lasted up until the outbreak of World War II. Banks and other financial intermediaries play a very important role in the economy. They connect people who want to deposit their money for safekeeping with people who want to borrow money to work on a new venture that they can't directly afford. That venture could be buying a new house, starting a new business, or even just going on a shopping spree. All of these actions benefit the economy in some way and are made possible by loans from banks. The one vulnerability in this system is that deposits can be demanded at any time, whereas investments have fixed payback periods. So if there are enough depositors who want to withdraw their money, the bank can run out of cash, which will panic other depositors who will try to withdraw their money, and the system can fall apart very quickly. This is known as a bank run. During the initial market crash of 1929, many banks experienced bank runs and a lot just went out of business because the loans and investments they made lost enough value that they couldn't cover the deposits they were supposed to be responsible for, even if they had enough time to collect them all back. The collapse of these banks meant that there were less institutions to loan money to borrowers, which meant less business activity and less consumer demand, which lowered overall output in the economy for an extended period of time. Bernanke pointed out that while the loss of money in the system was an issue, there was something more important at play. He proposed that the actual fall in the money supply was not sufficient to explain the subsequent fall in output all by itself. People had to deposit their money somewhere, so while there were fewer banks, the ones that did survive had more money that they could use to lend to people. The problem was that a lot of business owners and consumer borrowers had no relationships with the surviving banks. Before standardised credit scores, banks could only lend money to people that they trusted, and gaining that trust normally meant having a long, established relationship of doing business with an individual bank. If a business owner had been working with a bank for 20 years to manage their payroll, line of credit, and general business incomings and outgoings, then that business owner would find it very easy to get a reasonable loan if they wanted to open a new location, or invest into a new piece of equipment, or whatever it was that they were doing to improve their business. But if that bank collapsed, then not only do they lose their financial infrastructure and any operating cash they had on hand, they also lose the relationship that took them 20 years to work on. If they set up accounts with another bank, there would be a difficult transition period with interruptions in payment, even if the business itself was operating exactly the same as it was before the first bank collapse. If they did get a loan to buy that new piece of equipment, then it would likely come with a higher interest rate because the new bank has to balance the risk of working with a new business that has no history of paying them back. In a situation where businesses are going under left, right and centre, those interest rates would need to rise significantly because there's a good chance the bank never will get their money back, which will put them in the same situation as the other banks that were forced to close down. If interest rates get too high then the business might decide that it's simply not worth it to take out the loan to open the new location or get that new piece of equipment because even if everything works well they still end up losing money to the interest payments the Nike identified that the difficulty and expense in getting a new loan caused by the breakdown in banking relationships is what turned a large but not unprecedented downturn into the most severe economic collapse in history So, what did he learn from his 1983 paper when he became Chairman of the Fed in 2006? Did he save the economy? Well, yeah, sort of. We can break the GFC and the Great Depression into two distinct parts, the financial crisis and the subsequent economic depression. Financial crises can happen without causing depressions or even recessions, and recessions can happen without causing financial crises. But in both the case of the GFC and the Great Depression, it did follow this pattern. The GFC was kicked off by a system of over-leveraged financial instruments betting on an over-inflated housing market, and the Great Depression was kicked off by a collapse in stock prices after a huge speculative bubble. The financial collapse of 1929 was less severe than the financial collapse of 2008, but the Great Depression was far worse than the recession that followed the subprime mortgage crisis and a big reason for that was that banks were less dependent on non-standardised relationships, and the system itself was re-established very quickly thanks to large bailouts pushed by people like Bernanke that had learnt what went wrong in the 30s. That, of course, didn't help him or his predecessor Alan Greenspan see the problem coming, but it did enable him to take steps to control the problem once it did happen. So, yeah, Bernanke was a controversial choice, but still one that is very deserving of the prize. But he was not this year's only winner. The prize was split equally amongst Bernanke and the other two winners, Douglas Diamond and Philip Dybveig. I really want to call these guys d and for the sake of brevity, but I feel like that would be doing them a disservice because they actually know how to write. Anyway, the actual split is not necessarily indicative of their contributions. It's just that Bernanke published his contributions towards economics individually, whereas Dybvig and Diamond conducted their research together. In reality, most laureates, especially in the field of economics, are already quite wealthy, and they tend to donate their prize money to a cause that they find worthy, so it's the recognition that's most important to the winners. Diamond and Dybvig did not work directly with Bernanke, but they did make findings that were very complementary of one another. And I don't mean that as in they said nice things about each other in their papers, but rather their papers supported and furthered the findings of each other's research. While Bernanke focused on how bank collapses can hurt the function of efficient capital allocation slowing down the economy, Diamond and Dybvig were theorising new ways that banks could run more efficiently to avoid these situations in the first place. Diamond and Dybvig proposed that people had access to an amount of cash and they were always unsure of exactly when they were going to need that cash. Even people that budget very well are still going to be subject to unexpected expenses, or maybe everything they buy in a given week or month or year is on sale and they end up using a much smaller portion of their cash than they were expecting. The problem this creates is that it makes it very difficult to use that cash productively because people always need it sitting around because they don't know when they're going to have to use it or not use it. The solution to this is a bank that can split the difference. They will give someone a small return on their cash and they will maintain the right to access that cash whenever they need it. This gives the depositor the ability to make some return rather than no return on their idle cash and it allows the economy to access a vast pool of capital that can be used on long-term projects to improve overall well-being in that economy. It sounds overly complicated but they are basically just describing a savings account. Diamond and Dybvig did not create the savings account, it existed long before they were even born. What they did do, though, is propose a system for monitoring and predicting the level of demand for withdrawals given certain conditions in the economy. If a bank can properly predict how many withdrawals will be demanded over a given time frame, they can make sure they have just enough cash on hand to honour these withdrawals without keeping too much cash on hand that could be loaned out to make the bank money and improve economic outputs. They found that while withdrawals are random... They are predictably random, given certain market information. If people heard rumours that a bank was going to go under, then demand for those deposits would increase. If people were punished for taking their money out early from things like term deposits, then the demand for deposits would decrease. For the first time ever, this relationship also formally highlighted the importance of guarantees from central banks and governments in the form of lender of last resort protection and deposit guarantees. People are much less likely to demand their cash when they have assurances from institutions that they trust that their money is safe. This means that banks can lend out more money and more projects can get off the ground creating a better economy. Now, you'd be forgiven for thinking that none of this sounds particularly impressive. After all, most of us knew that bank runs were bad and were more likely to happen during periods of economic turbulence. It also probably didn't require a research paper to show that things like deposit guarantees help people feel more comfortable keeping their money with these institutions. But what you have to remember is that this research was done four decades ago, and it was so influential that today we take a lot of it for granted as common knowledge. Before the work of these men, banking was normally considered by economists as just another type of business with no particular importance to the economy beyond the jobs that they create and the services they provide. I myself struggled to see how their research was all that impressive because I started formally studying economics in 2010, long after their contributions were just a given thing. Everybody knows that banks are vitally important to the smooth functioning of an economy, thanks largely to the work of these men. The work of Bernanke, Dybvig and Diamond showed that financial intermediaries do more than take deposits and give out loans. They provide a place for people to store their capital for easy use while also mobilising savings, evaluating projects, managing risk, monitoring managers and facilitating transactions. If people had to do this individually, it would be prohibitively expensive to invest in most things that make an economy function. Just think, if your neighbour wanted to buy a new car, but they didn't have the cash to do it, you might indirectly end up loaning them that money through your deposits in a bank account. But if you were to do it directly, you would personally have to assess their creditworthiness, write up a legally binding contract, set up a system for repayments, and be prepared to start legal proceedings if the loan goes bad. It's just not feasible without the economies of scale that institutions like banks provide. Now. The last point of controversy is that this line of thinking really supports the idea that banks are too big to fail. If bank failures mean more to the wider economy than just a few job losses, and there is the moral hazard that they can always expect to be bailed out by the government because the government understands the damage that they can do if they go under... This is one of the big trade-offs that Bernanke alludes to in his work. It's important that banks are there to provide capital to good ideas, but there needs to be a system in place to make sure they're not putting money towards overly risky or bad ideas. This was perhaps what caused him pause when it came to the bailouts of Merrill Lynch and Lehman Brothers. Today's economic slowdown didn't start in the financial sector. It's mostly been caused by sustained inflation and the increasing interest rates that have been implemented to fight that inflation. Yes, getting a loan is going to be more expensive these days because interest rates have increased, but that is because the central bank wanted them to increase, not because banks are crumbling and everybody is desperately trying to get a hold of as much money as they possibly can. So while it might not be the most popular Nobel Prize, their contributions towards how our modern economies are shaped are perhaps some of the most influential ever. Hi guys, one last thing before I go, we're super excited to officially launch our EE branded merch store. You can now order EE branded shorts, hoodies, mouse pads, water bottles and more. To kick off the store we're launching a Cyber Monday promotion where you can get 15% off everything store wide as well as free standard shipping between November 28th and December 4th. So feel free to check out our new products by clicking the link in the description below. Thanks for watching mate, bye.